What an amazing time of worship already. Thank you for joining with us on campus. Thank you for those joining with us online as well to worship uh, the Lord. Uh, Before we open up uh, scripture this morning, uh, let us uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Lord, we are so, so thankful that you are the same God. And Lord, recognizing you as the one and true God, Lord, we ask that you would fill us again. Lord, maybe there are those this morning who have never received Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray today for the very first time that they will taste and know that the Lord is good. And for us as followers of Christ, as we celebrate uh, 39 years, first and foremost, of your work in and through the body of Christ, we pray that we too, today, right now, will crave, genuinely crave, the very presence of God. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to continue to worship you as we turn to your word. We ask that the Spirit of God go before us, reveal truth to us, Lord, in that same Spirit. uh, He will teach us and empower us to obey what you have taught us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, we're going to continue our series that we began last week. Uh, walking through Psalm 119. If you are joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat uh, in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 569. 569. We started last week launching into a 22-week sermon series, uh, walking through Psalm uh, 119. Uh, The sermon series is entitled, His Word, My Anchor, His Word, My Anchor. And I love Psalm 119 because many things, but one, uh, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, right? It's 176 verses. I love the fact that uh, roughly 98% of those verses directly refer to the Word of God and how we need the Word of God to be our anchor in life. And I love how it's unpacked for us. It's a poem consisting of 22 different paragraphs, 22 different uh, stanzas, uh, eight verses each, and and we get to walk through each of these paragraphs together. And there's going to be repetition, and praise God for that repetition. We need the repetition of the Word of God in our life today. And what we looked at last week in those first eight verses, that first stanza, that the, the Hebrew letter, and again, those 22 stanzas, those 22 paragraphs, uh, each begin with a Hebrew letter of the alphabet, and uh, each verse in that particular paragraph begins with that same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Last week it was Aleph, and under that first stanza, the psalmist, the psalmist, we don't know who the psalmist is, the psalmist could be David, it could be Daniel, it could be Ezra, it could be Nehemiah, we don't know exactly who it is, but we know exactly what his heart was, right? We know what he wanted in life. He wanted to have his life anchored in, directed in the very word of God. And it's in those first eight verses that we see the psalmist. The psalmist is looking out into the family of faith, the people of God. And what he sees is he sees the people of God obeying the word of God. And the result is joy. He sees the people of God who are full of joy. And I just have to say, in my 20 plus years of being here at Charleston Baptist Church, that is what I've seen. By and large, I've seen the people of God obeying the word of God and as a result, being joyful. I mean, I was thinking about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, A dear family in our church had a child unexpectedly pass away. And at the visitation, at the graveside, I saw my brother and sister in Christ in the midst of that. 
Be filled with joy. Be filled with joy. Listen, only God can do that. And we celebrate that joy today. Why? Because God has given us his word. And that's what the psalmist does in verse 4. Last week we saw that the psalmist looks at the word of God as God's divine instruction to us. And, and the response that we should have to that is a, uh, is a cherishing, a love for God and a love for his word. And the psalmist closes out verses 5 through 8 last week with this prayer of desire. God, I desire to, to, and we don't know if that desire, that prayer uh, came from the angle of he's looking at the people of God and recognizing I'm not experiencing the same joy that they have. I want that, right? Or it could be that he is experiencing that joy and he's saying, I don't want to lose sight of that. I don't want to be removed from the joy of being obedient to the word of the Lord. We don't know exactly sure, but we do know that that was a prayer of great desire. And so as we turn our attention to verses 9 through 16 of this morning, uh, the Hebrew letter changes to bet, and here it is, and you can see up there uh, each letter. Again, remember the Hebrew language is written not left to right, but right to left, so you're reading it the opposite direction, and, and we can clearly see exactly what the scripture is saying right there. Uh, thankfully, we have the English language today, so we are going to learn that today. Uh, but what I love about the letter, the Hebrew letter, bet, it, it's house. The word is house. And what a great picture of recognizing that in order to build a life, it has to be housed in the Word of God, right? And that's what we see. The psalmist is going to spring out in verses 9 through 16, and he's talking about uh, this great desire to continually be anchored in the Word of God in his pursuit of holiness. And that's what is going to be fixed, uh, pictured here in verses 9 through 16. This, this way of holiness, this way of purity, the way of life and honoring of the Lord. And let's read the scripture, verses 9 through 16, and then we'll unpack it together. Uh, verse 9, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And so it's through this passage that we're going to have three observations as it pertains to God's word and in our pursuit of holiness. And the first one is this. The first observation is the right attitude towards holiness. We have to have a right attitude as it pertains to holiness. And we see this in that first part there, that question there. How can a young man keep his way pure? Now, when we think about purity, oftentimes we we put that in a very tiny box, right? We, we want to talk about sexual purity, and that is true. But when we think about purity from the biblical perspective, it's about an entire way of life, right? Not just what you do, but how you think, how you talk, how you act, all those different things, right? So it's the whole of life. And, and the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? And that is a powerful question. I mean, that is an amazing, I mean, that question causes you as a brother or sister in Christ to pause and say, how is that? How can a young man keep his way pure? And here's what we can at least discover. Two things from that one 
powerful question. One, it tells us that God desires for us to live pure and holy lives. The, the very fact that the psalmist asked that question tells us that that question was not birthed in his heart, but first birthed into the heart of God and expressed and revealed to the heart of man. Listen, we don't walk around this world in our own thinking, man, how can I live a life that honors the Lord, right? So the very fact that this question is even asked in the first place tells us that that holiness is a desire that God has for us. In fact, uh, in the book of Isaiah, when God is addressing the wickedness of the people of God, as he speaks to the prophet Isaiah, and uh, Isaiah speaks to the people of God, he says this in Isaiah 1, uh, verse 16, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil. So God desires for his people to live lives that reflect his holiness, right? Now, what about the New Testament? And here's the issue that I have with some uh, teaching that is happening within the American church specifically. This idea that the Old Testament is irrelevant, right? Listen, we rightly need the Old Testament to better understand the New Testament, right? And so when we look to the New Testament, has that desire changed? No, not at all. When the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, he says these words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, first part of verse 3, for this is the will of God. Now that should pique our interest, right? And what is that will? Your sanctification, your holiness, right? That's what his will is. And then he goes on to say in verse 7 of the same chapter, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. So God's desire, God's will for you, and this is great news for, for us, uh, for students that are getting ready to graduate, take that next season of life, and you're really scrambling on what is it that God wants me. Listen, start with the simple stuff. Start with the stuff that we know. God's desire for you is that you would live a life that is holy and pure. Right? Doesn't matter what it is, your vocation. First and foremost, you live a life that is directed towards the very word of God. And we are to grow in that grace. And God's desire is that we would grow in the very grace that is given to us in Christ. That we would live holy lives. And so that question, how can a young man keep his way pure? First tells us that it's God's desire for us. Second thing it tells us is what? It also reveals to us our struggle with living holy lives. Can anybody say amen to that? Oh, man, that should be a strong amen right there. We see that in the phrase young man. The scripture says young man. Now, it, it specifically could talk about the age of the particular individual. We don't know for sure. Uh, but this phrase communicates not only youthfulness because of age, but vulnerability towards impulses, right? Uh, it talks about strong passions, void of wisdom. Anybody have those? Uh, and, and the importance of getting on the right path as early as possible. Anybody can say amen to that too. As soon as you possibly can, you get on the right path. And when the psalmist asks the question, he knows in himself that he's what? He is powerless. Uh, in fact, the proverb says this, Proverbs 20 verse 9, who can say I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. And the answer is what? Nobody. I can't do this on my own. This church cannot do that on our own. You cannot do that on your own. The psalmist is aware of his struggle with holiness. And yet the apostle Paul recognizes it too, right? And Romans 7, what a beautiful chapter. Romans 7, verse 15, Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. He goes on to say in verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Anybody recognize that today? So both the psalmist and the apostle Paul diagnose the same issue, right? They diagnose the fact that, that God desires holiness for his people, but... 
the people of God have no power to do it, right? So they're both on the same page here. We have been saved from the penalty and power of sin already. But we're not yet freed from the presence of sin. That day will come. So when the psalmist asks the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? What he's really asking is, with what or by what means can a young man keep his way, his path, his track of life pure? And by the grace of God, we don't just get this profound question. We get an amazing, amazing answer. Verse 9, the second part, by guarding it according to your word. Man, think about this for just a minute. God's word doesn't just tell us that God desires holiness for our lives. The scripture doesn't tell us that, that, that not that we just can't do it on our own, but it actually says it can be done, right? It's possible to live a life in holiness towards the Lord. By what? By guarding it according to your word. It's a possibility. Our posture in life is to constantly guard the patterns of our life, not by our happiness, not by our pleasures, not by our idols, not by our security or our comfort or our feelings. We are to guard the very patterns of our life based on what? The word of God. And here's what we find in the word of God. We find promise after promise after promise after promise after promise. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says this in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And one of the primary means in which God brings about holiness in your life, my life, and the life of this church is what? The Word of God. That's why we teach the Word of God, right? You don't need my ideas. Trust me. We need God's truth, right? And that's what the scripture is teaching us. Uh, in fact, when Jesus is uh, having that last prayer with his father uh, right before he goes to the cross, or at least the prayer that we see in scripture in John chapter 17, this is what he says. He says, uh, sanctify, in John 17, verse 17, sanctify them, talking about his disciples, in the truth. Why? Because your word is truth. The word sanctify means to make holy. Listen, holiness is what God desires for the bride of Christ, right? In fact, when you get to Ephesians chapter 5, that, that great part of the scripture where it's talking about uh, husband and wife, the greater picture is what? The church, right? And this is what we see in Ephesians 5, verse 25 through 27. Husband, love your wives as what? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, Jesus handed his life over for the body of Christ. Praise God for that that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church, his bride, to himself in splendor, that is in glory, without spot, without fault or wrinkle, without defect or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, that the body of Christ would be absolutely perfect. On one hand, husbands... Do we have any desire to love our bride like that? And in an even greater way, do we recognize that that's how Jesus loves us? So much so that he wants to cleanse us with the word of God. You see, the psalmist knows that the word of God is vital to his walk. That's why he says in verse 10, he says, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. You have to love the honesty of this psalmist, right? I mean, on the one hand, he says, what? With my whole heart, I seek you. With every fiber of my being, I seek you. And it's at that moment that we begin to say, oh, you're just holier-than-thou type of Christian. You're just this arrogant person that thinks they just have it all together. But before we can even get to that point, 
what does he say? He says, let me not wander from your commandments. In other words, my default mode, your default mode is a default mode of wandering, right? We wander from the Lord time and time again. In fact, many of us, unfortunately, are trying to become experts at living life with a divided heart. Trying to live life, the Christian life, with a divided heart. So the psalmist says, Lord, do not let me wander. Don't let me stray from your ways. Uh, And notice that the psalmist isn't just desiring God's word. He is desiring God himself. With my whole heart, I seek what? I seek you. This is an intense pursuit of God. David expresses this same type of uh, posture towards the Lord in Psalm 27 verse 4. He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And here's David. David is in, he's, he's uh, in, not in captivity per se, but he, he's away from his homeland, if you will. He's in the run. He, he is hiding. And yet his desire in the midst of that is what? To be in the very presence of God. Can you, can you say what David said? The one thing I desire, the one thing that I want is to be in the presence of God. Listen, I'm not saying we don't go before the Lord and say, Lord, I I really would like us. I would love the spouse. I would love to have children. I would love to have this job, that job, go to this school, that school, all these different things, right? We go, we present all requests to the Lord, right? But when you layer those things out and you chisel it all the way down, what is your ultimate delight in? What is your ultimate satisfaction in? Is it in the Lord or the fact that you get things from the Lord? right? And that's what David is saying. David says, man, my desire first and foremost is to be in the presence of the Lord. When you read your Bible, do you read the Bible with that kind of pursuit? God, I don't know what I'm going to read today. God, I don't even know how you're going to ask me to apply that word in my life today. But Lord, more than anything else, as I read your holy word, Let me connect first and foremost with you. And in that connection, I will trust what your word says and I will know that you will empower me to live faithfully to what you have instructed to me. That's why the psalmist says in verse 11, he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the psalmist is treasuring God. He's treasuring uh, God's word. It's in the vault of his heart, right? Uh, And his desire, man, he sets the bar pretty high, right? That I would never sin against you. I mean, we live life, let me just do better than yesterday, right? I'm probably okay with that to a degree, but the psalmist says, man, I have a higher expectation. When I see the holiness of God and and what has been given to me, and you and I, we have a a whole better lens when we look at what Christ has done, right? He says, "I, I, I never want to sin against you. And he says that what brings it together is what? The word of God. It reminds me of Jesus in Matthew 4 when he's uh, led into the wilderness by uh, the Holy Spirit. He's tempted by Satan. And three times, what does he say? It is written, it is written, it is written. So Jesus goes to the vault of his heart. He pulls out God's word and he what? He quotes scripture. That's how he defends and shelters off uh, that sin that, that Satan is tempting him with. So the scripture helps us identify the lie, Right? And it teaches us how to live in truth. Uh, So one person has said, or many people have said, and listen to this, I don't remember exactly who it was, uh, this book talking about about the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book, right? That is true, right? So we see 
the right attitude towards holiness. Secondly, the source of holiness. And we kind of alluded to that a little bit, but the source of holiness. Uh, in verse 12, uh, we see the psalmist have a, a praise accompanied with a prayer, right? Uh, he says in verse 12, Blessed are you, O Lord. That's the praise. And then here's the prayer. Teach me your statutes. You see, the psalmist acknowledges that he is not the main character in his story of holiness, right? Do you realize today that you're not the main character? And praise God, we're not the main character. We just saw uh, the past couple days with KCA, they did a theater right on this stage, right? And they had main characters, secondary characters, all that stuff. In the stage of your life, the stage of my life, you're not the main character. I'm not the main character. Praise be to God for that. The psalmist here is acknowledging that, that God and God alone is the master teacher, and he is the humble student. In this one verse, the psalmist is praising the Lord because there is no one like him. He is Yahweh, the great Almighty, right? He is the great I Am. And it is the Lord Almighty that doesn't just teach us his ways, but he gives us the very means to live in his ways. And so that last part of that prayer, he's saying, Lord, teach me to do what you have said. Teach me to do what you've said. And this is important for us as followers of Christ. God's grace doesn't just reveal his uh, word to us. His grace also gives us the power to live it out. That's the story of your salvation. That's the story of my salvation. You go back to Ezekiel chapter 36, and, and it talks about what God is going to do in the hearts of his people, including you and me today, right? What does he say? In verse 25 through 27, I, speaking of the Lord, I will spring clean water on you, talking about the people of God, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so there was a time before we knew Christ that we had a heart of stone. We were opposed to the things of God. We didn't desire the things that God desired for us. We may have little flashes here and there, but at the end of the day, Ephesians 2 says what? That we are objects of God's wrath. We are sons of disobedience. And yet, by the grace of God, he has done something in us that we could not do for ourselves. He has brought what was once dead now to life. And no longer do we have a heart of stone, but the scripture says we have a heart of flesh. That means it's something that can be moldable, something that could be taught, something that could be empowered. And what is it that he gives us? He gives us new desires. He gives us new loves. Why? Because we have a new master. And at the end of the day, what we recognize is that God does what we cannot do. He creates a new heart, right? But that is a reminder to us that it's not just something that happened in the past. It's what God continues to do today. I think about David. David, obviously, uh, the scripture says he's a man after God's own heart, but yet we see his life rattled with sin, deep, dark sin that was deadly, destructive. And yet he says something amazing in Psalm 51, verse 10. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I love this verse. Uh, the word create in the Hebrew language is bara. Say that real loud, bara. Hey, I encourage every day, walk with that word in your mind and say it out loud if you got to. Bara, bara, it's the word create. It's the same word that we see in Genesis 1-1 where it says in the beginning, God what? God created. Out of nothing, he brought something. And that same power that God expressed at the beginning of his creation it's the same power that he expressed and he magnifies in your heart and my heart today. God, you do what I cannot do. 
You created me a clean heart. And then the scripture says that you would renew my spirit. In other words, God, would you renovate my life, right? Would you renovate my life? Would you continue to fix the things that are broken, what you see to be broken? And here's the beauty of the gospel. He has not left us to ourselves. He has given us the Holy Spirit of God. When Jesus speaks about this in John 14, he says this in verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will do what? He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So yes, we discipline ourselves in habits of grace, right? We study God's word, we meditate on God's word, right? We do those things. But at the end of the day, our Christian life is not dependent on us. It's dependent on what God and God alone can do. David says in Psalm 86, verse 11 and 12, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. And I love this phrase, Unite my heart to fear your name. Lord, unite my heart in such a way that when I live life, I don't want to do anything, absolutely anything, to dishonor your holy name. Verse 12, I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. I ask you a question right now. How teachable are you today? Master teacher, humble student. Really and truly, how teachable are you today? What area in your life today are you, you, just figure, you just have it all figured out, right? Will we choose to be humble students underneath the teaching of our master teacher? The source of holiness is him. Third, third observation, the byproduct of holiness. In other words, the fruit of holiness when we begin to have the right attitude about holiness and trust that God is the source of our holiness, there will be certain convictions that are lived out in our lives, right? Uh, and he, he, the psalmist here is going to talk about four of them. First, speaking truth, speaking truth. Uh, in verse 13, the scripture says, With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Not my mouth, but your mouth. In other words, there is no questions that out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks your speech is an open window to your heart and when god rules your heart he will rule your conversations right psalm 71 verse 15 says my mouth will tell your righteous acts of your deeds of salvation all the day for their number is past my knowledge i cannot even count how amazing you are right and as the word of god is stored up in your heart it will find its way out. The scripture says that, the, uh, he talks about rules, the, the rules of your mouth. The rules refers to everything that is right according to God's word. Whatever God has declared to be true, right, and holy is shared in our conversations with others. And this is important. The proverb says this in uh, chapter 10, verse 21. The lips of the righteous, they do what? They feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Man. We live in a world that desperately needs the right type of feeding, right? And we, we have been given a gracious gift to speak truth. So when it comes to life in the womb or life going to the tomb, when it comes to gender and marriage and how we relate to people, proper business tactics, integrity, ethics, and everything in between, we speak truth and love, right? So that's a byproduct of walking with the Lord. Uh, second byproduct is rejoicing in truth, rejoicing in truth. So not just speaking truth, but rejoicing in truth. Uh, verse 14, uh, the psalmist says, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I love the word testimonies. Uh, it has deep Old Testament roots. 
Uh, in fact, uh, in Exodus 31, the scripture says that um, when uh, Moses uh, came down from Mount Sinai, he had uh, the tablets, and those tablets were called tablets of the testimony. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant that carried those very tablets was called the Ark of the Testimony. It's referred to eight times in the book of Exodus. Uh, the tabernacle where God dwelt with his people in the camp was called the Tabernacle of the Testimony. We see that in Exodus 38, Numbers chapter 1, and Numbers chapter 10. So this is a big deal when we talk about the word testimony. Throughout the Bible, we see God's own testimony of how he has delivered his people. And that same testimony has been seen and proved to be true in the testimony of Jesus Christ himself. And here the psalmist understands he values the word of God. He says, I take more delight in the ways of your testimony than all the riches of this world, right? It's that precious to me. I mean, when you think about God's word... and I don't want to get into a tangent here, but that's why I think having God's word in your hand is important. There's a value there, right? I'm not saying don't use your cell phone and all that good stuff. Please, that's fine. But man, have a Bible where you can turn the pages, right? Because you, there's something about uh, the life that is given as you touch the scripture, right? Uh, but I say this, uh, sometimes we treat God's word like it's just another textbook, right? I mean, I don't know about you. My, my, uh, my daughter, one of our daughters, she's in geometry class, right? So she brought her textbook home, and I'm thinking, man, yeah, I would not open that book. Um, <laughs> it was a thought, not a word, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, I don't go around life thinking, man, I'm so glad I know the Pythagorean theorem, right? I'm so glad I know the slope-intercept form. I'm so glad, you know, I know how to find the volume of a cylinder. Like, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that may be your cup of tea, but... Drink it on your own, right? <laughs> and this is why we don't look at the scripture like it's just some ordinary textbook, right? Listen, there are no words greater than the words of God. And so we need to stop looking at the scripture like it's some ordinary textbook because it's not. It has life, it has power, it brings about correction and rest restoration, all those different things, right? Uh, the Apostle Paul, when he thinks about uh, the works of the Lord revealed in our salvation, he, I mean, it's just busting out with uh, praise. In Romans 11, he says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. In other words, man, it takes my breath away when I really sit down and think about it. How unsearchable are your judgments? In other words, it goes beyond human ability. And how inscrutable is his ways? It's impossible to fully trace out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has, been, uh, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And, and here Paul is quoting from Isaiah 40, verse 13, and Job chapter 41, verse 11. And from him, speaking of Jesus, uh, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So Paul is rejoicing in the works of God revealed in his word. To the ones who were once condemned because of their sins. Romans 1 verse 18 through Romans 3 verse 20. To the ones who have been saved by God's grace in Christ Jesus. Romans 3 21 through Romans 8 30. To the ones who have been set free in Christ. Romans 9 through chapter 11. We rejoice in your truth. Do you read God's word like that? Constantly rejoicing in the truth of God. You see the byproduct of holiness, speaking in truth, rejoicing in truth. Third, meditating on truth. Meditating on truth. The word meditate, I uh, think about like uh, marinating a steak, right? How many of y'all like steak, right? We're going to have burgers and hot dogs pretty close, right? 
Lee does amazing things, so don't worry. You'll be fine. But think about a, a marinating a steak, right? You want the seasoning of that marinade to, to just hit every part of that steak, right? It's kind of like the Word of God. You want the Word of God to marinate in the depths of your soul and hit every little part, right? And that's what the psalmist says in verse 15. He says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. In other words, meditation requires times of slowing down, right? Oh, we need to hear that today, right? We're such a busy people. But meditation is about slowing down, right? So you, you can truly just rest in the word of God. That doesn't mean you stop being a mom for the day or stop being a dad for the day or you stop doing these things. But in the midst of those things, you're slowing down just enough to meditate on the word of God. In the Old Testament, uh, Joshua is taking over the leadership of God's people uh, after Moses dies, and, and it talks about the importance of meditating on the Lord. So right before he goes into the promised land, I mean, he's going to have a lot of battles, right? There's a lot of battles. There's a lot of things coming at him, and God's instruction is this in uh, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall what? You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For, in other words, only then you will make your way prosperous and only then you will have good success the Lord says meditate on my word don't just read my word don't just study it for the sake of a Bible study but man let it marinate let it soak into the depths of who you are and why it talks about good success in other words sometimes we're pursuing the things that are quote-unquote success but that's not success according to God's word it's according to the world's wisdom, right? And so as we study God's word, we really truly define success. And if you look at uh, the, the wartime of Joshua, when they were truly meditating, depending on the word of the Lord, guess what? They won every battle, right? But then right in there, right in the middle there at the beginning, God's people got off track a little bit. And the small little army of Ai, they wiped them out, right? They tore them up, right? God redeemed that. They were able to attack them and, and win the battle the next time. But again, our success is dependent on uh, the Lord. And here's another thing about meditation, because here's what the world's going to teach you about meditation. Meditation is about clearing your mind, right? That is not what the Scripture teaches us. The Scripture doesn't tell us to, to clear our mind. The Scripture tells us to fill our mind. And we fill our mind with the truth of God's Word. Why is this important? Uh, Paul speaks of this in Romans 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, based on everything that the gospel has done, present your bodies, everything about you, uh, as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. In other words, this world is going to teach you a system that is godless, right? So don't be conformed to that type of mind, that type of thinking, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, put the truth of God time and time again back into your heart, back into your mind. Why? What's the purpose? That by testing you may discern or prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's why God's word is so important. Meditate on it. Fill your mind with the truth of the gospel. You see, I think most of the time, many of us as Christians, we face an identity crisis, right? We lose a job, we lose a relationship, something happens in life, and now all of a sudden we're scrambling, trying to figure out who we truly are. That's why you need God's word. God tells you who you truly are. It's not based on what somebody says about you. It's what God's word says about you. So meditate on uh, truth. And then lastly, 
Uh, it's about proving God's truth is best. Proving God's truth is best. And we see this in verse 16. Uh, Psalm 119, uh, verse 16 says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And here's, here's the beauty of this. So uh, this isn't the first time we saw the word delight in our passage this morning. We saw it in verse 14. Here we're seeing it again in verse uh, 16. But the Hebrew word that's used for delight are two separate words, two different words. Uh, in verse 14, uh, that rejoicing that it's talking about is, is about bringing something to your mind. As you bring God's truth to your mind, there's a rejoicing that happens, right? In verse 16, uh, this idea of rejoicing uh, Rejoicing is, is, is proving that his truth is best. So there's an action point here, right? So you're living it out, and as you live out God's word, you are proving that God's word is best. You're rejoicing in the goodness of God. We delight in God's statutes, not because it's easy, right? But because it's God's will for us. It's where we find our greatest peace, our greatest power, our greatest joy, our greatest freedom, our greatest purpose. And when the psalmist says, I will not forget your word, he is communicating his desire to have the habits of his life daily prove that God's word is true. So it's not a lack of memory that he's struggling with here. It's a lack of action. Lord, let every day of my life be habits of your grace. And when those habits don't line up with God's word, what do we do? It's the healthy cycle. Confess, repent, renew trust in the gospel. The psalmist says, I, I want to grow. I want to mature in my faith. And here's, here's the reality of maturity, because everybody wants to be mature, right? Maturity isn't about you making your own choices. Maturity is about you making the right choices, right? Everybody wants to make their own choices in life. That's not maturity. Maturity is about making the right choices, and the only way we can make the right choices is found in the Word of God. How do we continue to mature as followers of Christ? We have to long for the right thing, right? We have to desire the right thing. 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, the scripture says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. So just like a baby cries for a bottle, you and I crave for the word of God, that by it you may grow up into salvation. And I love uh, that phrase, grow up, because it's seen, uh, uh, that same phrase is used with John the Baptist when he, and when he says, uh, he must increase, uh, speaking of the Lord, but I must decrease, right? So, so, Jesus needs to become greater and greater and greater in your life, and you need to become less and less and less. Now, how is that, impo- how is that even possible? Verse 3, I love it. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You've got to have a taste, right? Quick story. Uh, we, every once in a while, take our kids, our family, to California Dreaming. Anybody ever been there? Well, when our son uh, was very, very young, we would go there, and we would... Uh, sometimes order uh, an appetizer, right? Those honey croissant rolls. Y'all remember those? And they'd be just sitting on a table, right? And I, son, you, why don't you try one? No, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. Have you ever had one? No, no, I haven't. <laughs> well, just, just try one. No, I don't like it. I can tell by looking at it, right? I'm like, son, you have no idea what you're missing. So I pretty much had to bribe him to eat of all things, a honey croissant roll at California Dreaming. But the first time he took a bite, for a while he identified that restaurant with those croissant rolls, right? <laughs> now when we sit down, he's like, hey, Dad, can we, can, we, can, we get, can we get some of this? Right, yeah. And then they quickly find out that we have a family of six. They only give you five, so the dilemma's there, right? What do we get, two, or you just order one and somebody has to sacrifice? But that was the whole point. I see, son, once you taste it, and you're going to want it. Same thing with the Lord, right? 
the moment you taste the goodness of God, man, you just desire to have it, to have it, to have it, to have it, right? So here we are, the word of God given to us on this 39th anniversary of Charleston Baptist Church. My prayer for this church, my prayer for me, my prayer for my family is that we would not stray from the word of God. That it doesn't matter who is in this pulpit. It doesn't matter who is teaching that life group. It doesn't matter who's working with kids or students. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what translation you enjoy reading. That it be truly the word of God that is being professed. That it's the word of God that is being spoken and rejoiced in and meditated on. That it's the word of God itself that we prove day in and day out to the body of Christ and to the world around us. That God's word is always, always best. But we do that knowing this. We're not on our own. We're not on our own. I'll close with this passage. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious, his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of divine nature, that your life would reflect that divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Let us never forget God's word and how important it is to our lives. His anchor. His word is our anchor, right? And so we're going to go to a time of response and to the family of God. If you've, if you've already received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, where, where is the word of God in your life right now? Do, do you truly have the right attitude when it comes to holiness? That that is truly God's desire for you, but at the same time, you acknowledge that you can't do it on your own. And to that, you bring yourself under the submission of the master teacher, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that you are the humble student in his classroom, and that you know that the Holy Spirit of God will give you the very means to live the life that he desires for you to live. That that source has been implanted in you at the moment of salvation, right? And then the byproduct, what we get to celebrate, walking in obedience to the Lord, is we we get to share the truth in love, And we get to rejoice in the truth, right? We get to meditate on the truth, and we get to prove that God's truth is always, always best. So maybe you're here this morning and you've realized that.